Amen. Turn to John chapter 17, the Gospel of John, John 17, and Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. We have two texts this morning. We'll get to Philippians later on, but right now turn to John chapter 17, the whole chapter. If you're there, say amen. Well, today we're going to conclude uh, this stewardship series. It's, it's all his. Everyone say that. So what I want to do now, okay, as we conclude this series, I want us to say uh, the definition of stewardship together. If you're ready, say yes. Here we go. It's the practice, come on, of managing properly all that God has entrusted to me. The key verse, remember this, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, where it says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust, a trust, must prove faithful. Say faithful. So in this series, we have focused on our treasures, say treasures, also on our time, say time, our talents, say talents, our testimony, say testimony, our temple, say temple, speaking of our bodies, right? And today's focus is going to be on togetherness, say togetherness, speaking of unity, say unity. The title of my message today is Better Together, everyone say that. Now say it together. All right, sounds good. Friends, unity is the most important, this is now, element in families, the most important element in the workplace, in a business partnership, in friendships, in sports, above all, in the church, say in the church. And without it, everything, this is now, everything falls apart. Without it, things don't get accomplished. Without it, we, we lose. That saying, right, united we stand, divided we fall. And the three musketeers had it right, all for one and one for all. Unity is essential. And no other person ever displayed it, expressed it, desired it, and prayed for it more for the church than Jesus. In, in John chapter 17, the first text of this message, in this chapter is, is the greatest prayer ever prayed on earth and the greatest prayer recorded anywhere in Scripture. It is known as a great high priestly prayer. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus prayed, Jesus' prayer, excuse me, is divided into three parts as we look at the text. If you're ready, say yes. Here we go. First of all, Jesus prays for himself. Number one, for himself. Jesus prays, number one, here we go, for number one, himself. And I want you to write this next to that, that he would be glorified. Say that, that he would be glorified. Now, let's look at verses one through five with me. After, after Jesus said this, after what? Well, after the upper room discourse, he looked down, excuse me, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Say, prayed. Father, the hour has come. Now, the hour for which Jesus came into this world has what? Finally arrived. That's what it means, okay? It's the ordained hour of the cross. Let's read on. Glorify, say, glorify. Your son, that your son may be may glorify you. I'm gonna say it again. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. So, so his concern, Jesus' concern for himself was actually a concern for the glory of the Father. If you got it, say got it. Look at verse two. For you granted him authority over all people that he might have eternal life to all those you have given him. Verse three. Now this is eternal life. Now listen now, now this is eternal life, that they know you, say know you, <clears throat> the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
So, so it's knowing him, this is now, it's knowing him intellectually. Say intellectually. In other words, knowing the truth. Okay, knowing the truth, what it does, it brings understanding of God. <coughs> it's knowing him intellectually. It's also knowing him intimately. Say intimately. Okay, the word know there is the word yada. It means an intimate knowledge of God. Okay, so it's knowing him intellectually, knowing him intimately, and it's knowing him morally. Say morally. Exercising, listen now, and practicing love and justice and righteousness. Follow me now, okay? We know God is ours because he knows us as his. Verse 4. I have brought you glory on earth. So I love this about Jesus. Jesus always was always about bringing glory to the Father. So how did he do that? Well, let's read on. By completing the work you gave me to do. Look at verse 5. And now, Father, glorify, say glorify, me in your presence with the glory, say glory, I had with you before the world began. So Jesus, listen now, Jesus can't wait to go back to the glory that he had with the Father before he voluntarily laid his glory aside to come to earth to live and die for our sins. Verses 6 through 10. If you're still with me, say amen. I revealed you, I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Verse 7, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. Verse 8, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Verse 9, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. Did you get that? But for those you have given me, for they are yours. So I want to stop there. If he prayed for his disciples, guess what? He's praying for you. Right? Verse 10. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory, say glory, has come to me through them. So, so this can be translated, I stand glorified in them. I stand glorified in them. So Jesus doesn't merely want to dwell in or live uh, in the believer, but to be what? Glorified in them. Got it? We are road signs, not billboards. Got it? We, we point to Jesus. Uh, we, we glorify him. It's, it's all about him, not us, friends. Okay? It's not about you. It's not. It's all about him. And our eyes shouldn't be on humanity. Our eyes should be on deity. Got it? So Jesus prays, first of all, for himself. Number two, Jesus prays for his disciples. Say disciples. And then I want you right next to that, that they would be sanctified. So Jesus prays for himself that he would be glorified, right? <coughs> Excuse me. And then he prays for his disciples that they would be what? Sanctified, set apart, different. Okay, got it? Sanctified. Verses 11 through 19. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Did you get that? Verse 12, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe, love that, by that name you gave me. None has been lost. Did you get that? I want to stop there. Jesus has kept his followers safe and secure, and now he's returning to his glory in heaven, and he's handing them back, this is now, to the Father for safekeeping. Good place to say amen. 
Okay, let's read, let's read on. Except the one doomed to destruction. That's speaking of Judas. Say Judas. Okay, Judas wore the uniform but wasn't part of the team. Got it? And I want to say this, friends. Judas is a frightening example of how near one can get to the kingdom and still be lost. Let's read on. So that scripture would be fulfilled. Verse 13. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure, I love this, of my joy, say joy, within them. Now listen, friends, if you're safe, say amen. Because we are secure in our salvation, we can and should experience satisfaction in our lives. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Yeah, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Did you get that? Not out of the world, okay? But that you protect them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Now I want to say this. The world has always, has always been on a collision course with Jesus. Yeah? Why? Because his teachings reverses everything that the, that the world prizes. Verse 17, here we go. Sanctify. Say sanctify. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This is why we need to be in the word of God. To sanctify us. Amen? Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Verse 19. For them, for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. So we are to be sanctified, listen now, by the word so that we saturate the world. Sanctification in John's gospel is always for a mission, a mission. And the success of that mission is impossible without sanctification. Got it? Listen, listen if you're a believer, you're in the Word, the Word's always changing you. Amen? Set apart from the world. So Jesus prays for himself that he would be glorified. He prays for his disciples that they would be sanctified. And then number three, Jesus prays for all believers. All believers. That's a good place for you and I to say amen. Amen. And then I want you to write next to that that they would be unified. Are you getting this? Glorified, sanctified, and then say unified. Okay? So I want you to fill in the blanks here. Here we go. Okay? The parameters of unity. Write that down. The parameters of unity. Again, the parameters of unity. And this includes obviously what? All believers. Say all believers. So, so stay with me. Look at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. Okay? For them alone. I want to stop there. Jesus prayed for his 11 disciples, right? There were 11 at that time. But he also had the heart and the vision to pray beyond them. He prayed for those who would become, or who would come, excuse me, to faith by the testimony of these disciples. Everything he's prayed for listen, concerning his disciples goes for us as well. Got it? Now let's read on. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us, friends. Amen? All believers. This is amazing. Why? Because as Jesus prays, even though he doesn't call you and I by name in the scriptures here, he had us in mind. Verse 21a, that all of them, may, here we go, may be what? Maybe one. Now if you're saved, say amen. Okay. We're redeemed, right? We're redeemed by the same blood, 
going to the same heaven, and that means that we share a common unity, or we can say community, with believers in the past, in the present, and in the future. Isn't that awesome? Okay. The parameters of unity. The next sub-point is the pattern for unity. Say that. The pattern for unity. Look at verse 21, 21b. 21b. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. Back in verse 11, we just read it, right? Back in verse 11, I'll remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, I, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one, one as we are one. If you got it, say got it. Jesus prayed that, 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 that we would experience, listen now, the oneness that exists in his relationship with the Father. For unity among the believers is based on the believer's unity with him and the Father. You see, the unity that Jesus wants us to have is so intimate, it is so personal and so vital that it is a pat- that it's patterned after and based on the relations that exist in the Godhead. How awesome is that? So that's the pattern for unity. The next one, here we go, is the purpose of unity. Say that. The purpose of unity. Write that down. And look at verse 21c. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have what? Sent me. God's redemptive plan, friends, is that the world may believe. And and the way this is accomplished today is through the unified oneness of the body of Christ. Listen, a disunited Christian community denies by its behavior, the message that it proclaims. And that's why, friends, Jesus prayed that his followers, listen now, would have a witness of oneness to the world. Now, this was an amazing statement, okay? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus essentially gave the world, listen now, Jesus gave the world permission to judge the validity of his ministry based on the unity of his people. Listen, unity among God's people helps the world to believe that the Father sent the Son. Got it? The next one, the practice. Say practice. The practice of unity. Write that down. We look at verses 22 through 23. And he continues to pray, I have given them the glory that you gave me. I want to stop there. As God the Father shared his glory with God the Son, as we saw that in verse 5, remember verse 5? So Jesus gave glory unto his own people. The word glory, say glory, represents the, the visible manifestation of all of God's attributes. Glory is used of our new right standing uh, with God due to the righteousness of Christ on our behalf. Glory, say glory, is equated with his life, his character, and his fullness. This glory belongs to those who are in Christ because Christ is in the believer. Now, now follow me. Because he indwells us, Christ has now given this radiance of divine character and goodness 
to us. In other words, we, when we are saved, okay, we receive a deposit of God's glory. Now, when we are united, the world will stand up and take notice of God. Why? Because they will see him glorified in us. Matthew, what does Matthew 5.16 say? In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may, what, see your good deeds and what? Glorify who? Your Father in heaven. So the result from the glory he's given to us, here we go, this is it, let's read on, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Say complete. The word complete there in that text derives from a root that conveys the idea of of end or aim. Say end. Say aim. Listen, Jesus is praying that our aim should be unity, that our aim should be oneness, okay? And we know that we have, we have arrived when we're experiencing unity with other believers. And you see, friends, where there is a sense of God's glory, unity is so much easier, so much easier. Now, I want to point something out to you. Jesus, notice, Jesus doesn't pray for uniformity. Say uniformity. That we all dress alike, that we all like the same worship music, that we all read from the same version of the Bible. He's not praying for uniformity. Nor is he praying for unanimity. Unanimity, that we all agree on everything. Are you guys with me? He prays for what? Unity. Say unity. Oneness of heart. Oneness of faith. Oneness of purpose. He's speaking, listen now, of a unity of belief. Say belief. A unity, get this now, that originates from shared convictions. Now listen, it's possible to be diverse and yet not divided. We're not called to be the same. We're called to be one. Now, now it's, it's fine, it's awesome when the choir sings in unison. Okay, but it's far greater than that when they sing in harmony. Yeah? And you see, the best advertisement is a witness of oneness to the world because when we're unified, we display the personality, the purposes, and the power of God. The next one, here we go, is the promise. Say the promise of unity. Write that down. The promise of unity. The promise. And here what he does, he reveals the promised incomparable blessing of being with him in heaven forever. And he asks that the unity between himself and his people be completed, okay, even as he promised his disciples that it would be in chapter 14 of John, verses 2 and 3, I go to prepare a place for you. Remember that? Okay. So he's speaking of heaven. Okay. Now let's look at verse 24 of the text. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. If you're, if you're saved, say amen. amen. The King James renders it like this. I will that they also, I will, say I will, that they also. He wills it. Let's read on. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Now I want to I go back to that, that word uh, in the King James, I will. He wills it. In the New Testament, there are two Greek words that are 
translate to will. The first one is fellow, fellow, okay? It means to purpose, okay? It's used for the will of God, the will of God, which is unalterable and firmly fixed. The second Greek word it's used, it's bulomai, bulomai. It means to have a wish or a desire for something. This word is used of desires that may or may not come to pass, bulomai. Now, the text, in the text, Jesus used the word thalo, not bulamai, okay? So what he's saying, he's saying this, I'm declaring that it is my purpose, got it? Purpose, that everyone who receives me will be with me in heaven and will behold my glory. Got it? In other words, if you're saved, if you're saved, one day you're going to be home in heaven with God. Amen? Got it? Now, 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 the last two verses is Jesus' triumphant conclusion to his prayer, and he prayed that we would be filled with his love. Say love. That is, he desires that his children be characterized by a life of love for one another. In chapter 13, let's not go to that right now, chapter 13 of, of the Gospel of John, verses 34 to 35, Jesus declared that our mutual love would be a sign to the world that we, listen now, genuinely, listen now, genuinely belong to God. Our love for one another, okay, that we belong to him. Now listen, verses 25 to 26. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they Speaking of they, say they, the disciples and us believers, know that you have sent me. Verse 26, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the what? Love, say love, you, get, you have for me may be in them. What, what's in them? Love, say love. And that I myself may be in them. Did you get that? So this speaks to the essential place of love in the Christian life and the Christian community. It's speaking of love. And Jesus thought it was so important that he specifically prayed for love when he might have prayed for other things. But he did. He prayed for love. You can't have unity without love, friends. Okay? You can't. Now, now, all that being said, the burden of Jesus' prayer was for unity. Togetherness. Say unity. Say togetherness. So, so I want you to follow me. Here we go. Follow me now. Unity. Listen now. Unity. Fill in the blanks. Unity is the choice of Jesus. It's a choice of Jesus. Say that. Jesus, was his, his deeply, he has a deep desire for his church to be together, unified, okay? And this was his heart. This was his heartfelt prayer. He prayed for unity. So it's his choice. His choice. So, so unity is the choice of Jesus. Unity, here we go, is a challenge of the church. It's a challenge, man. I'm telling you. We got to work at this. I need a witness. We got to work at this. It doesn't come automatic. Cry Out Christian Fellowship is composed of many types of people from a variety of backgrounds, right? Multitude of gifts and abilities, likes and dislikes. And so, so we're all different. Thank God we're different. Okay? I don't want you to be like me, and I don't want you to be like, right? Me to be like you, right? We're all different, right? Yet coming together in oneness of heart, of purpose, and in agreement on major points of doctrine. Got it? 
That saying, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. It's a challenge. I mean, just look around, right? It's a challenge. It's the choice of Jesus. It's the challenge of the church. Get this. It's the changing of the world. Unity is the changing of the world. Okay? Listen, if we as a church fail to be unified, okay, we fail to be unified, friends, the world, our community will never have an interest in Jesus. Want no part with Jesus. Want no part with Christianity. Okay? You see, and I want you to get this. The world doesn't want an explanation of Christianity. They want a demonstration of Christianity. They want to see it lived out in our lives as we love one another. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Every single thing that you and I, that we do in our lives, must be done with a view of maintaining unity within the body of Christ. Okay? That's God's will for his people. That's his will. Okay? When we find that, here we go, write these down. 1 Corinthians 1.10. In 1 Thessalonians 5.13. 1 Peter 3.8. And then our second text, Philippians Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So, so after you write that down, I want you, if you can, if you can, turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you can. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. This is our second text. You hear that noise? That's music to God's ears. Amen? Philippians 2, 1 through 4. If you're there, say amen. If you're still looking for it, say, help me, Jesus. Okay? Philippians 2, 1 through 4. And here in this text, what Paul does, Paul tells us the why and the how to a better unity. In fact, friends, to better relationships, period. Okay? Got it? So, first of all, the why. Say the why. Here we go. Turn your outline over. Here we go. Why? Here we go. We belong to Christ. Very practical. We belong to Christ. Say that. We belong to Christ. Look at verse Verse 1a, Philippians, okay, chapter 2, 1a. If you have any encouragement from being united with who? Christ. If you're saved, say amen. You and I belong to Christ. Not the world. Not the world. Not the world. We belong to Christ. Therefore, we should get along because the common ground is Christ. And if we belong to him, then Act like we belong to him. Get along. Get along. The why, we belong to Christ. Number two, we are comforted by his love. Say that. Look at verse 1b, the second part of verse 1. If any comfort from his love. There is nothing greater than the comfort of his love, right? And thank God, say thank God for his love. 1 John 4.10, right? You guys know this, right? This is love. This is love. Not that we love God. Did you get that? Okay. But that he loved us. That he what? Loved us and said his son is atoning sacrifice for our sins. He loved us first. Got it? Okay. My point is this. Because we have been comforted by his love, we must share and extend that same love to and with each other. Got it? We belong to Christ. We are covered by his love. The why, number three, is we are a spiritual family. Spiritual family. Yeah? Okay. Verses 1c through verse 2. 
if any fellowship with the, come on, say it, spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, verse 2, then make my joy complete. Here we go. By being what? Like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Say fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. You know that word, right? Koinonia. Fellowship. Okay? It means a joint partnership in a common interest. So, so we're joined together. Okay? We have the same Father in heaven, the same Savior Jesus Christ, the same spiritual resources, the same blessings, the same family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And because we are a spiritual family, listen now, unity and love and humility and compassion and forgiveness ought to flow out through our lives for one another. Why? Because we're a spiritual family. Okay? Got it? If God is your father, then I'm your brother. Amen? We're a spiritual, say spiritual, family. So that's the why. Now the how. Say the how. And what Paul does here, I love it, he gives two negatives and then he gives two positives. Okay, if you're ready, say yes. Here we go. Number one, the first, first negative is don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Okay, look at verse 3a with me. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do you get that? Listen, the very core of fallen humanity is selfishness. And what it does, it destroys unity. It destroys relationships more than anything else. And what Paul does, and I love this, he cuts right to the chase and says, deal, deal with the selfish issue. Don't be selfish. Don't demand that the world revolve around you. You can hear the crickets now, right? Huh? Friends, selfishness is a natural human talent that all of us have. We want to focus on self. To prove my point, how many selfies did you take of yourself this week? Huh? I see folks all the time, man, all the time like this. And they're all like this. And the girls are all like this, trying. And, and, and the guys are like this. And then they try to throw a filter to look more sexier. Huh? We take pictures of ourselves because it's all about self, right? Let's be honest. Okay? How about when you take a group picture, right? You take a group picture. Who's the first person you look for in that group picture? Yourself. And if you came out good, it's a good picture. If you came out bad, it's a bad picture. Right? By nature, we are selfish. I need a witness. Yeah? The definition of selfish ambition is this, to cause division in order to get my own way. To cause division in order to get my own way. That's the definition of selfish ambition. Selfishness divides and destroys relationships. Huh? Right? Someone said, the disease we all have and that we have to fight against all our lives is the disease of, of self. Self. It destroys unity. It destroys families. It destroys relationships. Right? Number two, the second negative is this, don't be prideful. Don't be prideful. 
Look at verse 3b. He says, or vain conceit. The King James says, do nothing through strife in vain. The good news says it like this. Don't do anything from a cheap desire to boast. Listen, we are more like the devil when we're prideful. The devil wanted to exalt himself above God. Listen, pride glorifies self. And it loves and lives for pats on the back. You know, I must have it. I must have it. You know, uh, okay, okay. I must be told how awesome I am. A person of pride focuses on his or her own importance. Like the rooster who thought that the sun had risen to hear him. Huh? Look at the text. Do nothing out of vain conceit. In other words, don't let pride steer your life. Don't let it steer your life. Don't do things just to exalt yourself. Don't place yourself as more important than others. Romans 12, 10b says this. Honor one another above yourselves. Man, that's totally contrary to our culture, isn't it? Honor one another above yourself. Question, when you enter a room, do you enter with the attitude, here I am. Or do you look at those in the room and say, ah, there you are. There you are. Proverbs 16, 18. You guys know this, right? Pride goes before destruction, the haughty spirit before I fall. Someone once said, a prideful person is an eye specialist. Their eyes are so close together, all they could see is themselves. (laughs) Charles Spurgeon said this, Be not proud of race, face, place, or grace. James 4, 6. James 4, 6. God opposes the proud. He what? But gives grace to the humble. Opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Point number three. Here we go. Here's here's the, the, the first positive is be humble. Okay? Be humble. Okay? Verse 3c, but in humility, you got that? But in humility. In other words, your Bibles might render as lowliness of, of mind, okay? He says, but in humility, lowliness of mind, consider others better than yourselves. When Paul's saying, he's saying, take yourself off the throne. Put yourself aside and help others to get ahead. Now, let me give you some background here, okay? When, when Paul wrote this, it didn't sit well with the Greeks. Because to the Greeks, friends, humility and lowliness of mind was a vice, not a virtue. And you see, the Greeks prided themselves in being better and smarter and having more culture than others. Uh, when they would talk about non-Greeks, okay, they would call non-Greeks barbarians. Because they would, the non-Greeks would speak, they would, when they would speak, they would sound like this, bar, 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 bar. That's why they called them barbarians. And they didn't have the sweet golden tongue of the Greeks. Another thing, friends, when the Greeks conquered people, they called them humble-minded people or lowliness-of-mind people. Again, humility was a vice to them, not a virtue. But Paul, what Paul does, he sets, he sees this as a virtue. Not a vice, but a virtue. It's an attitude or, or attribute, excuse me, of Jesus. Well, let's just jump to verses 5 through 8 real quick. We're not going to spend too much time here. Just going to read it. Your attitude, say attitude, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. 
taking the very nature of a what? Servant, man. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he what? Humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He made himself nothing, servant and humbled. You get that? Hmm? Now listen, humility, loneliness of mind is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Okay? Number four, second positive is be others focused. I love this. Be others focused. Look at verse four. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of who? Others. We must interest ourselves in the concerns of others. And friends, we got to see into people's lives. I love that. We got to see. We got to see into people's lives and see what would help them. Look and live beyond ourselves. Let me ask you a question. Could you name the five greatest interests, the five greatest interests of those in your family, circle of friends, and those in the church? Could you? Think about it. Could you do that? You see, friends, we, are, we can get so easily wrapped up in ourselves, right? We can. So wrapped up in ourselves. I'm tired. I, I need a day off. I'm hungry. Serve me. Be others focused, okay? It's not about you. It's not about me, guys. And sadly, in the church, the mentality is, well, I want to see how the church can serve me and what they can do for me. Uh-uh. It's not about you, man. Amen? So be others focused. Don't be so caught up in your world that you forget others. Amen? So real quick here, let me give you some more ways on how to maintain and preserve the unity here at Crowd Christian Fellowship and the unity in your family. Okay, here we go. Number one, here we go. Number one, fill in the blank. Grow. Say that. Write that down. Say Grow. That being said, question, are you growing in your walk with Christ? I want you to think about that. Are you growing in your walk with Christ? If you find yourself out of sync with someone, ask yourself, am I walking with Jesus? Am I, listen, am I fully surrendered to him right now? You see, unity will, not, will only come I love this. Unity will only come when I allow Jesus to live through me. Okay? Got it? When I allow Jesus to live through me. And the wonderful thing is this, is when I'm walking with Jesus and Jesus is living through me, and you're walking with Jesus and Jesus is living through you, guess what? Jesus ain't going to argue with Jesus. Jesus ain't going to fight with Jesus. Amen? He's in you. He's in me. Got it? Say, got it. Here we go. Grow. Here we go. Forgive. We talked a bit about this last week. Forgive. And honestly, some of you, perhaps this morning, you're filled with bitterness because you refuse, refuse excuse me, to forgive someone. I want to tell you, it's time to repair your relational ruptures. Whether they're in your home or in the house of God. The number one reason people leave churches is because they got hurt. They got hurt. 
And instead of reconciling, they leave the church. Keep short accounts with people. Amen? Be like the young boy who was overheard reciting the Lord's Prayer and forgive us our trash passes as we forgive those who have passed trash against us. Question, are you passing trash around this morning? Get rid of it before it starts to stink. If we don't forgive, Hebrews 12.15 says, give us, 12.15 gives us a warning and says this, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It not only infects you, it infects others. Listen, you're going to get hurt. I got news for you, okay? You're going to get hurt by your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's bound to happen. News alert. You're going to get hurt in your families, at work, in the church. It's going to happen. That's part of being a Part of the family. We, we hurt each other. Right? Don't be all surprised when you get hurt in church. Got it? It's going to happen. Romans 3.23 says, we, For we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all fallible, friends. The church is not a society of perfect people. It's a society of redeemed people who express their spirituality through imperfect personalities. We're all dysfunctional, man. Welcome to life. And that's the beauty of the church, that we're so dysfunctional and that we do hurt each other, but yet we can walk in unity and love each other, right? And forgive each other. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I, I'm amazed at, at church members who are holding on to hurts 10 years ago. I'm like, grow up. Forgive and move on. Amen? Forgive and move on. Here we go. Make peace. Say that. Make peace. Matthew 5, 9. Matthew 5, 9, right? The Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, not peace lovers, Okay, all right? Peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In other words, reconciliation with others shows a right relationship with God. Say, make peace. Here we go. Serve. Say that. Serve. Serve. Now, I want you to write this down. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Say works of service. So that the body, say body, of Christ may be built up. Now I'm going to stop there, okay? Because as equipping and serving take place, notice then what happens next. Verse 13 of Ephesians 4. Until we all reach unity in the faith. One of the best ways to build unity is to serve side by side with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you're not serving, start to serve. You know what's good about serving? Okay, all right? You forget about yourself. Right? 
and you're pouring into others, right? That's the beauty of serving. Here we go. Love. Say love. love. Write that down. Now I want you, John, John 13, 34, 35. I mentioned this earlier in the text. A new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Did you get that? So you must what? Love one another. By this, by what? Love. Okay, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. So love's not an option. Love is a command. And when we love, when we do love, people will take notice and know that we are followers of the one who loves unconditionally. Amen? Lastly, here we go, pray. Amen? Now, if Jesus prayed for unity, a whole chapter, chapter 17 of John, right? A whole, if he prayed for unity, for the unity of the church, for the unity of believers, then shouldn't we do the same? Yeah. That should inspire us to pray for each other. Ephesians 6.18, write that down. Ephesians 6.18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always, always keep on praying, keep on praying for all the saints. The church that prays together stays together. So as I come to a close, question, a couple of questions. How do you think Cry Out Christian Fellowship can better serve God? Think about that. How can Cry Out Christian Fellowship better serve each other? How can Cry Out Christian Fellowship better serve the lost, the hurting, the community, and those outside these walls? How? Unity. Say that. You see, coming together is the beginning. Working together is progress. Staying together is success. You see, we're better together. Amen. Let's all stand.